Hey friends, welcome to the Best Speech Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Pacquion, and this week I am joined by world-famous copywriter, Laura Belgray. Laura, first of all, it's just like so funny, but Laura makes seven figures as a copywriter. She's written a number of different articles that maybe you've read. They, a lot of these have gotten famous, even if her name is not familiar. The first one that caught my eye, she wrote an article for Business Insider that was labeled... I didn't make my first million until 50. And let me tell you something. It's better when you wait. Laura is super funny. She's super quirky. She's written spots for Time Magazine. And we talked about that a little in this episode. She's written spots for Fandango. I think she wrote about SpongeBob at one point. Fun fact, she was in an episode of Sesame Street when she was three or four. In this episode, Laura and I talk a lot about speaking and why it's important even for someone who is not doing it as a job. So Laura is a great example of why speaking matters for your brand. We'll talk in this episode about one speech in particular she gave, and I helped her a little with this speech, where she became Laura F. Belgray. And that, that followed her around for years, and it still shows up in like podcast interviews and stuff. And to be clear, her real middle name does not start with F. Uh, Laura and I talk about speaking when you have a home crowd, so people who are on your side already how to create a home crowd. So when there's an audience that does not know you, how you can quickly get them to like you and be on their side. She is a master storyteller, so I asked for some tips about storytelling. I love those tips. Lastly, this is the first time I can recall talking about vending machine preferences on the podcast. I think you're going to love it. Lara is just one of my favorites, and someday we will actually meet in person. But until then, we will always have this podcast. My friends, take a listen to my interview with Laura Belgray. All right, I was going to start off with a story, everyone. When I was in Portland, I think it was like 25 when this story happened. I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. I was staying in Portland for the summer. I went to a, was a specialized temp agency that was specifically for college students or grad students. They had everybody sit in a circle. They asked all these questions. So it's a group interview. The last question they were going to ask, or the last question they did ask was, what would your dream job be? Now, obviously, what you're supposed to do is to say something that's feasible. I specifically remember there was this guy who was really prepared. He dressed to the nines. He, he identified a specific woman at Nike who had his dream job, said her name, said everything about it. That's what you should do. And I know that <laughs> I know that's what you should do. But for some reason, after hearing like 16 people in a row give answers like that, it came to me and I just said, you know, I'm Mike Pacquion and my dream job is I would send emails all day. And there was this, there was this laughter, like I was joking. <laughs> that, that was just the end of my answer. Like there was no, like after people laughed, like, no, 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 but really I want to be a digital marketer. No, that was the end of my answer. People laughed. And I was thinking about that story recently with today's guest, Laura Belgray, because Laura, it's basically what you do, right? It is what I do. It's so funny because I just finished writing a piece that's for Time. It's a, one of Time's verticals. It's called Next Advisor. And the title of it is I make a million dollars a year writing emails to my friends. <laughs> and it starts off talking about how I used to sigh to myself like, ah, I wish I could just do this for a living. And that was whenever I was writing emails to my friends because I was so myself in them. Like I told funny stories. I made observations. I was snarky. I was mean. Um, I was who I was me. And I just wished that I could like, why can't this be my job? And eventually I figured out how to turn it into my job. I, uh, with a little less meanness, but, um, <laughs> I have to be a little nicer writing to a list, but yes, that is what I do. So I feel like telling stories well is your superpower and some other, I think there's some sub superpowers. I think New York is a, a good place for you. <laughs> uh, but I thought we would start off by talking about storytelling in general, and then we'll, then we'll apply it more to speaking. But uh, Laura has like this awesome course called Story Hero that for me, and you know, I'm good at this. I was like, Ooh, that's really good. Ooh. So I, I don't want to, give away the whole course, which costs $4.99 or $2.99 or whatever you charge for it. But Laura, <laughs> can you start us off with just one or two secrets from storytelling that would, that would, that would help people, whether they're writing or speaking out loud? 
Yeah, sure. Well, my number one secret of storytelling and writing that has always been my thing, like I've been talking about it since I started talking about copywriting, is using concrete, specific detail. So I I had a writing teacher, like I took a writing class at the new school called Writing From Your Life. And I think that I think that the teacher of it was just hired to teach because she had gotten a piece published in like the op-ed section or something like that, or um, the, like the back page of New York Times Magazine. But anyway, uh, so that was what qualified her. But it was something about like one piece of the best advice, best writing advice I ever heard that really made an impact was something that she said. And it was, um, we had lunch is not as interesting or is more interesting if you say, we met for tuna sandwiches. Mm. And I would add to that, um, even more interesting if you say, we met for soggy tuna sandwiches and a shared bag of Fritos. So that really tells you the tone of the lunch, like how casual it was, how um, it, it sets the tone. It tells you a lot of what you need to know. So I see, especially in my career, having helped a lot of people and a lot of coaches in particular with their copywriting, I have seen a lot of people use really squishy, vague language. And almost always they have an origin story that talks about how they were in a dark place. It's always like, well, in 2012, yeah. I was in a really dark place, the lowest place I've ever been. It was rock bottom. But then through grit and an aha that I heard when I was sitting on a rock, you know, I found my purpose. Um, and I was like, what does a dark place mean? What does it mean to say you were in a dark place? Does it mean that you were sitting in the corner of your house with like the lights out and rocking yourself in front of an open window like Demi Moore in... Um, uh, St. Elmo's Fire, or like, were you turning tricks on the street? What does it mean? So instead of I was in a dark place, I would rather hear something specific like, for months I lived in unwashed sweats, stalking my ex on Facebook and eating stale Doritos for dinner. Totally good. That's concrete detail. Um, and as a little bonus tip, you know, I like I reference snack foods a lot, packaged snack <laughs> foods with preservatives, Doritos, Fritos. Uh, but a bonus tip is using, you don't always have to, but it adds a little spice to add a brand name, because especially if you're speaking to an audience that understands your culture, that is in your culture and understands what it is. But that adds a little bit of pop to it. I think our it, um, our brain grips onto it. So I said Doritos instead of stale chips. So I would imagine that for most people, they have to go through a stage of writing the cliched version first. The, the, I was in a dark place version first, then go back and say, okay, well, how can I make this work better? Does your brain just skip that step and you go straight to Doritos? It, yes, it does. I like, I think my brain, it's like my brain and those vague cliches are kind of like, um, you know, opposite magnets when they just will not touch. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so, I'm so repelled by vague talk like that and cliches that I just can't do it. But I think it's an absolutely legitimate and effective way to get your story down. Like worry about those things later. You can always, um, and you know, sometimes when I'm, uh, when I've been working on my book um, that that's been, that has taken up most of my bandwidth and time this past year. And I've been working on it with an editor who I hired to help me like a mentor writing mentor and editor, Suzanne Kingsbury, she has sometimes pointed to sections of my book and say, I think you need to scene this more, meaning like turn it into scene. Um, yeah. Here you're telling. So she'll, she'll find places where I am telling and not showing. That's the, that is the old, like age old creative writing advice that anyone gets if they study creative writing. It is show, don't tell. So that's what I was just pointing out the difference between like I was in a dark place is telling and yep. I was in unwashed sweats stalking my ex on Facebook that is showing. I feel like when people are giving a speech, it's one of the things that I wind up telling them the most is we need to be in scene right here. So what is, what is mm. that? It's not enough to hear that you were sad. It, it's This might be a little cliche, but it's like it's better if we see you look in the mirror and a tear runs down your face or you can't cry because you're not a good crier. But stuff like that, I feel like is better yeah. than just, I was sad. Absolutely. 
Okay, Laura. So this is random, but you and I both live in the world of random. I think you'll appreciate it. I saw yesterday <laughs> there's this post going around about this couple that got married in Disney World. Do you know what I'm talking about right now? Oh, and they spent all their money on Mickey and Minnie and no food. Yes. 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 I do. I think it was an AITI, AITA <laughs> post on Reddit. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, they are TA. <laughs> The very, the very end, the post, I don't remember if it was the, I think it was the woman who posted and she said, there were vending machines throughout. And I was just trying to surprise If I'm making fun of this post, what would be the most pathetic thing in a vending machine to say, oh yeah, just in case you have. I've got it. Funyuns. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it, right? It's totally Funyuns. I was thinking planners, but I knew there was something better. And it is. It's Funyuns. <laughs> I, I feel like such a star right now that that just came to me. Like, what are, you know, it's a very good chance that I didn't think of anything. But Funyuns is the winner. <laughs> okay. So you're... Um... You're so good at writing stories. And obviously it's a little bit different being on stage. So I wanted to talk to you about that as, you know, that's the point of this podcast. What, so tell me, it's not like you're on stage every single week, although I think you probably could be if you really, <laughs> I'm sorry to sound like a fourth grade <laughs> teacher, if you really applied yourself, but <laughs> how, when you have been on stage, how, how has speaking helped you? When I have been on stage, how has speaking helped me in my career or just yeah, in yeah, general? Yeah, in your career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or in general, oh, sure. It, yeah. I mean, it, it helps enormously for like from the very moment that you post that you're speaking somewhere and you post the, you know, you post the screen grab of the lineup of speakers um, and yourself. And it just, even if people know, don't know who those other people are it just looks super cool and official. Like you have to remember that speaking is a rare thing. Not many people, like for every one person on stage, there are hundreds or thousands or whoever, however big the audience is. It is one to many. And so just by being the person on stage, you are really cool and it establishes a lot of credibility and authority. And then when you are on stage, I think they see you as kind of a god. And I was saying before to you, it's like, no, I'm a, just a person standing on a stage who's really thirsty. <laughs> but that's like as human as you can get. Um, and wondering if my mouth is making that, what, what I call um, banana mouth sound. That like, horrible sound into the mic or thinking that my shoes hurt. But people see you as something elevated, as someone, like as a god. And they want to talk to you afterwards and take pictures with you. So it builds authority and credibility and it goes into the category of visibility that the more that you're out there, the more that you're seeing and sharing your ideas as an authority, as an expert, the more, first of all, the more people see you everywhere and say, Oh my God, you're everywhere. You're totally killing it. Or they might be like, yeah. Oh my God, you're like totally killing it. <laughs> and then that perception becomes reality because the more people say you're killing it and think that you're killing it, the more they want to work with you, the more they want to buy from you and then, or, or have you speak at their event. Um, there's a ripple effect there and then voila, you are killing it. So it did a lot for my, like when I started, when I made a push to speak on stages, I'd say it was in like 2018, 2019, that really accelerated my career. Yeah, that was awesome. And then you just, we're recording this in June. You just had your first back in person presentation recently. Yeah, yeah, since 2020. What's something from that where, uh, I don't mean that it felt weird, but just something you're like, oh, I totally forgot about this. Hmm. I, you know, just the moment of being, mic'd up having having the lav um run through your shirt is that that kind of nervousness for me of like okay here we go i'm official they're you know making me up and i have to remember to turn it off if i go pee beforehand yeah. um it's just <laughs> like that kind of nervousness i hadn't really forgotten but my body had forgotten it so yeah. that's something that i that came back to me 
that's a good way of saying it. Your body had forgotten. Of course, mm-hmm. I remember that you wear a microphone. Yeah. Of course, I remember there's that moment before you go on stage, da, 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 but your body forgets it. So what is it? What is it like within your own brain right before you go on stage? Are you giving yourself a pep talk? Are you just trying to repeat the speech to yourself? Like, what are you doing right before you go on stage? Yeah, usually thinking about my slides. Like, mm. oh, God, should I, did I put them in the right order? Is it too long? I should have tested it out again. I bet it's going to go too long. Um, I'm thinking all kinds of things that I probably shouldn't be thinking about. Or I'm thinking, like, at this particular event, they ask, in advance, what song do you want to walk on stage to? And which made me nervous in itself. I was like, oh, this isn't just teaching for a bunch of people because they called it their mastermind. I was like, I was thinking like 20 people in a room at a table and they're like, no, what do you want to walk on stage to? I'm like, oh, this is a real deal thing. I better like practice and like review my slides and do all those things. I can't remember what your question was, but oh, what was I thinking? Yeah. I think I, oh, and one other thing that I'm thinking about in a case like that is how am I going to move to this song? Did I pick the right song? Am I going to look awkward trying to dance to it with the host? You're going to dance? Oh. Yeah. I have to dance. I got to dance. <laughs> I think something that you're really good at, and I've seen you do this virtually and from stage is you're really good at creating what I, what I call a home game, meaning like think sports, a home game where even before you get on stage, your audience is rooting for you. Mm. I try to tell people the audience isn't usually rooting against you. Like nobody's in the audience. I mean, except for the most yeah. cynical person, nobody's sitting there like, Oh, who's this next person? Laura Belgrade. I hope she's boring. Like nobody's saying that, but it can feel that <laughs> way. I think you're really good at just having people who are, in your corner as soon as you get on stage. How do you, do you agree with that? Yes, Um, for the most part. I mean, it kind of, it it depends on the audience. Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking like specifically when I've seen you do virtual, there are people like typing in Hmm. the chat little Lara comments and things that they know that you will be entertained by. Right. Maybe that's just Uh. you're the one inviting them, but. And I, right. I love when that happens. And sometimes it's for somebody else's group. If it's for my group, if it's a a training that I'm doing for my people who've bought from me, then they're definitely already in my corner and like to, I think I invite it too. They like to have established that, um, their connection with me, they're in, they like to show that they're in the know because I think, in my emails, one thing that I do and I recommend doing to anybody who writes emails and has an audience and wants to build a connection with that uh, with that audience is I create kind of insider culture around myself where you know if you are an insider, you're an insider just by knowing things about my life, by having followed along and spotting the Easter eggs and you know things that I repeat and like my people know that I eat watermelon chunks for breakfast almost every morning. You think you think nobody cares what you have for breakfast. Everybody says no one cares what you have for breakfast, but they do if they know you and want to feel more connected to you. They love knowing those little things about you. So I think that that's how it gets those people in my corner. And I've also spoken to audiences, like one in particular who didn't know me from Adam, or maybe they knew my name, but were not on yeah. board with me in that same way. And they were a tougher audience. So let's talk about that one. So what do you do when it's a neutral audience? Let's let's call it that. Yeah. Neutral yeah. audience. How do you how do how do they figure out who Lara Belgray is? You know, you helped me a ton. You like you helped me with the most recent talk that I created and, and gave. And I gave this for the first time at Copy Chief Live and in 2019. And I've so, since kind of grafted the beginning of it that you helped me with onto other talks because I think it's such a good opening. And like what I came to you with was the challenge. I need to work some cred. Like I need to work some credibility into the opening of my speech so people know why they should listen to me. But I want to do it without saying, so why should you listen to me? Um, you know, here are some of my client results after working with thousands of entrepreneurs. I didn't want to do that. And I wanted it to be a fun story that showed who I am also kind of my worldview. So 
um, what I think what you kind of masterfully helped me create with this was this opening where I say, like, I know I'm supposed to open with, uh, you know, a story about how I had this rock bottom moment where I was homeless and aimless and penniless and jobless. Yeah. And, um, you know, didn't know what to do with my life. And then, you know, I sat on a, I sat on a rock in the sky up a slide of a rock and heard a little voice, you know, tell me my big why. And from that moment, I knew my purpose, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not what happened. The truth is pretty much always had jobs and they were pretty cool jobs. And my friends were able to say, this is my friend, Laura. She writes for Nick at Night and TV Land. And this is my friend, Laura. She writes spots for Fandango and Bravo and Kevin Hart. And this is Laura. She writes with Marie Forleo. Um, but there was a problem. And at some point, and I talked about how at some point I didn't want to be known in relation to who I worked for. I didn't want to be known as so-and-so's copywriter or anybody's anything. I wanted to be known as Laura fucking Belgray. A writer. I totally forgot about so, that. I totally forgot about this. Yeah. That's right. Sorry, keep going. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, but I, and so that is that's my open. And people I think people really get on board with that crisis of confidence about my own identity. And they're able to see that I've done some really cool stuff. First of all, they get to see that I'm making fun, they get to laugh along with me at the culture of our industry with these rock bottom stories that are usually bullshit. And then yeah. they get to see that I've done some cool stuff. And then, and then they see, you know, they hear the problem and get on board with me and what I wanted, what I really wanted. And they understand it because then I say like anyone here want to be known as want to be known for who they are. want to get paid to be you and be known as first name, fucking last name. And everybody raises their hands. I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you how it happened for me and what I recommend doing for yourself. Okay. So the other way that you've started, I totally forgot about that. That is really good. Well done, Mike 2019. <laughs> yeah, uh, no kidding. Whatever year that was. Because uh, what I also think of is you at least used to do a speech where you would walk out on stage, raise your hand if you want to change the world. Mm -hmm. Every single person raises their hand. Yes. And then what does yes. the word say? Right, right. I don't, <laughs> that was, that is how I opened this talk. Um, I said, I just cut to the other part, but I say, yeah, oh, okay, I don't. Okay, okay. Um, I'm like, I mean, fine. If it happens, great. I, I'm happy to change the world, but it's not what gets me out of bed in the morning. What gets me out of bed in the morning is getting paid to be me. That's what I've always wanted. I want to get paid to be myself. Anyone here want to get paid to be you? And then everybody raises their hand again. It's so good. I, uh, I've probably told you this before, but I generally do not like the whole raise your hand thing. I think <laughs> it's something that you're taught in ninth grade. And I, I've worked with so many speakers where that's their beginning. And I, and I cut them off. I'm like, why are you having your audience raise their hands? Well, it's a way for them to participate. I'm like, but what, what is happening when they raise their hands? Well, I don't know. They're raising their hand. I'm like, well, that's not, <laughs> it's not like calisthenics. Like nothing's really happening here. You do it so well there because it is, it is purposeful. So what okay so here's here's like something i was thinking about that intro makes a lot of sense and the whole like i wanted to know be known for myself makes a lot of sense because it, it leads into your topic but other people like if you don't have that topic i don't know if there are other ways of getting there i guess where what i was just thinking about do you think that in your bio instead of making the bio so resume e mm -hmm. do you think you could write like a funny bio so that when you're introduced it's like that gets the audience yeah. into knowing who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do try to inject a little humor into my, into my bio for the, you know, for the person who reads it, you mean? Yeah. Um, also so that it doesn't require like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, like delivery, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, good enough for like anything, something any host could read out loud. And I mean, it's a, my bio isn't hilarious, but it has a little bit of humor to it. I like, yeah. I just hate the one. They all sound so army issue that I feel like it certainly pays to put in something that stands out that's relatable or funny. Army issue is so good. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Yeah. Cause I, I can think of one time where I did try to be funny and the guy reading it is just, <laughs> let's just say not funny. I'm like, Oh, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> 
but, you're, but even but I think, I think the point there like just a touch of humor does establish this isn't going to be a boring talk which i think is what yeah. we're going for right do you think you could talk about so you have this speech i don't know i guess i don't know if you call it the three v's but it's about the three v's i call and it I'm, getting I'm paid curious. to be you paid to be you okay oh yeah. right, right that makes sense okay so tell us what the three v's are and then how did you get to the point where you could package it that way? Because the, the reason it works is because you can remember three V's and people always use, I don't know why people, C's. there are like certain letters that people, yes, yeah, C, people love, people love C's. C's. They like P. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are really three. easy letters. No, I, I just chose V because certain things were already coming to mind and they started with V and I was like, why don't I make it all V's? And um, I also like, the letter V just cause it sounds a little naughty. And it was the, you know, the local, the uh, cable access porn channel that I used to watch as a kid um, when I was, you know, 12 or when I actually, I got my TV for my bat mitzvah. So 13, 14, uh, it was channel V and it was originally channel J and that made no sense. And then when they changed it to channel V, it felt like this was, this is, this was the destiny. This is what, what a porn channel should be channel V. This is the destiny. Okay, so the three V's, it sounds like the way, so first of all, tell us what those three V's are, but it sounds like the V came before the idea or no? No, I think, I think that probably one of the words that I was thinking of, uh, well, I'll tell you the three V's and they are volume, visibility, and velocity. And... I also throw in vision there because they go, you know, a fourth, but four doesn't sound good. Three sounds good. We like odd numbers. Yeah. yeah. And I probably started with visibility. I would say volume. Um, the other word for it is being prolific. So I talk about writing and creating in volume and putting stuff out there in volume. And I talk about how it pays to be prolific and it could easily have turned into a P talk. And I just wanted to stick with these and it, it just worked, but it, it was, you know, the ideas came first and then I figured out, I absolutely opened onelook.com and looked for related words to the words that I wanted that start with V, which is met. Uh, if you don't know onelook.com, it is like a magical souped up, pimped out thesaurus where you can look for not just related words, but related words that start with this letter or end with this letter or have, you know, um, or rhyme with this. So it's, it's like one of the best things ever online. Okay. So when you, when you write, you sit down to email, you can sit there, you can delete, you can, Oh, I could phrase this better. Let me go back, change this word for this word, all those things. You get to perfect it until you press send. And speaking, you know, obviously there's yeah. less leeway for those things. So what, yeah. what is, what's harder and easier about speaking versus writing? Hmm. I think, I think writing is always easier, except that speaking when you're done, you're done. Yeah. Um, and you can't go back and futz with it. Like you did it, you're done. But I love, you know, to me, what would be neck and neck with writing emails or even easier is speaking on a panel or mm. in an interview. That I love. I love responding to questions. I love going kind of, you know, bouncing things around with somebody. No one expects that to be super polished. And so there's so much forgiveness in it that yeah. uh, that to me is the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Are you, okay. So let's talk about that. Are you, when you finish a speech, do you, how quickly does your brain go to, Oh, I messed that part up. Oh, I forgot that joke. Or do you, are you just free from that? Mm, no, I'll think about if I messed up a joke or something or, or said something stupid on stage. Um, I haven't had, I haven't done that many talks. I haven't been that prolific about speaking that I have like regular things that I do. I think it, it just varies from one thing to another, but usually I feel great when I come down off of a stage, like, and I've been lucky enough to speak for <laughs> events hosted by people I know, um, for the most yeah. part. And so they're always so, I, I feel like 
they're so in your corner that they get the crowd in your corner and they also tell you how amazing it was. They reflect back the best parts right after you get off stage. Like how incredible was that? Um, whereas if you speak at like some huge event, like huge conference, you don't necessarily get that. And that gives you time to dwell and be like, did people like it? I can't tell. But you're funny, which at the end of the day just makes up for so many of the other things. Like, honestly, <laughs> I mean, there's just so many, so many conferences and people are boring and, or maybe boring is unfair, but just, there's not, there's not a whole lot of life to it. Yeah. So I was trying to tell people, like, if you can just bring energy out on stage, I'm not telling you to fake it per se, but if you can bring energy with you and bring humor with you, that takes you a long way. I agree. And uh, I would, I would add to that. Don't announce that there's going to be humor. I've seen <laughs> I saw someone's TED talk that was like a well-received TED talk, but I found it so cringy. She was, she said at the beginning, she said, I do want to warn you, I do use humor. So prepare yourself, you know, prepare to laugh and prepare for it it to be possibly uncomfortable. If you are uncomfortable with humor, I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'm waiting. I'm not expecting any humor now at all. So does that do for you? Like when, when I heard you narrate that, that made me want to not laugh. Like that made me want to <laughs> yeah, just I'm not going to laugh at one thing you say. Yeah. I am uncomfortable, but <laughs> not in a funny way. <laughs> have you ever, uh, and this can go back to grade school or something, but have you ever just not put the word in work in for a speech and it didn't go well, or I don't know if you mm. would have bombed it. Like, have you had a speech yeah. that you just felt like, ah, I didn't like that. Oh, yeah. I've had a I've had a speech that I know could have been, should have been so much better because I don't think I really understood the, the environment that I was going into. I thought it was, again, just like doing a teaching thing um, or talking. Like I was talking to a bunch of people who I was told like that, you know, these are your biggest fans. They really want to, they like just go and tell them about your path as a freelancer. And that's what I did. I, I made up slides. I mean, I, pre- I prepared the talk by, you know, creating a whole bunch of slides, but I hadn't done this a lot. And so um, I didn't understand the time limits. I didn't understand how to make it a great talk by preparing, like by rehearsing it and knowing the flow of the slides and timing it. And I saw, you know, the I mean, because it was a legit event. It was small, but it was a legit event. And they had a person holding up a card that said, you know, 10 minutes. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm like a quarter of the way through my talk um, that I thought was 30 minutes. And so, yeah, that like and then the other people who went after me, like I saw them rehearsing in the bathroom. And then one of, you know, one person, um, their slides didn't work. And they were able to do the whole thing from memory and like such a dynamo. And the host of the event was like, well, wouldn't want to follow that person, would we? Um, and But they did not say that about me. <laughs> I was like, yep, I'm glad did I didn't you, follow that person. <laughs> how did you how did you recover from that? Uh, by rehearsing the crap out of the next talk that I gave. Yeah. And in fact... One of the hosts of that one event um, where I gave the rambling unprepared talk was at the one where I was really well rehearsed and said to me, um, and I think it was a little bit of a dig or like, why didn't you do that for us? It was like, how, how did you, how were you so smooth and prepared? Oh man. Yeah. So I know I, you know, I, I, um, like people came up to me and, at that event where I think I blew it and said they loved the talk. But I also know that I could have done it a lot better. Right. And that that's one of the things that's really hard is when you know that you could have done it better. That's great. Yeah. That this person in the audience learned something. I know I could have done it better. So give me the opposite of that. Identify in your brain like the best feeling you had walking off the stage. So you rehearsed it, mm-hmm. timing was right on your jokes, three V's landed. What was what was the best feeling? that you can remember? The best feeling was I killed it. They loved it. Like the rehearsing paid off. I knew Uh my, 
I knew my talk. I got it got laughs in the right places and um, having people come up to me all weekend. I mean, I like to stick around. I like to go first in the lineup as early in the lineup as I can, if it's a multi-day conference, especially. And then I will stick around. You know, I know I could jet back out of there, but I like to stick around, um, use that hotel room that they're providing for me and stay there through the whole thing and click just mingle and collect my accolades because I love the attention if I've done it well. Well, and it's the best feeling. It's rewarding you for all that time you put into planning, rehearsing, editing, all those things. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's so good. I have uh, have one last question for you, and then we'll move into our two concluding questions. I'm curious about editing, Laura. This is something that I know that you're good at, and it's something people always struggle with. People are always, well, is this too long? How do I know whether I should get rid of this part? Is this story too long? Do you have anything in your brain that helps you figure out whether include this part, don't include this part, or, or just generally know if this is taking too long? Does that question make sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I don't always know innately. Sometimes I'm like, I think it's too long. I think this part's not interesting anymore. Sometimes it's because I've heard myself tell it a bunch of times or I can feel feel it being long. And then someone else will say, no, you've got to have that part in. That's the best part. And so I would say that I don't really trust my intuition about that. Like now when I'm writing an email, writing a story, especially an email, I know this part can go that I can leave this out because, um, first of all, an email doesn't have to be everything. It doesn't have to bring people to their feet. You know, they just have to Read, they read it fast and they and they either loved the story and absorbed it or it's a TLDR. Um, and so I try to keep those short and I now I know like, okay, this is rambling. This is extra. Some people will really enjoy it, but some will be like, come on, come on, let's get to the point. And when I read it out loud, I can feel myself. And I, I feel this a lot when I'm reading other people's emails, like doing a email makeover jam, which I'm sure I think you've attended some of those, yeah. um, where I feel myself going and then blah, 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 blah. You said, okay, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Here's the good part. You know, I can feel myself wanting to skim over it, like with my mouth going like yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It just turn it turns into a mumble and I know, okay, that part needs to be chopped. That's good. Yeah. Anytime you're saying, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like that, that's one of the things I try to picture. If I were saying this out loud, how many times is the person having to go, uh-huh? Right. Because I feel like more than one, uh-huh, the story was too long. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. It's a good gauge. It. It's a good Darn gauge. Uh, Laura, we always end with two last questions. The first is a speaking tip. So as always, the reminder here, we're looking for something that is at least somewhat unique to Laura. So not like make eye contact or something <laughs> like that. Imagine them in their underwear. Um, <laughs> totally. You know, I don't know that this is unique to me, but what you helped me do weaving some credibility, some authority into the story rather than just doing that section of like, why should you listen to me? I think, uh, I think that's a really great thing to do. I also love if it happens organically to interact with the audience in some way, like I see who's really engaged. So this last talk that I just gave um, at Jen Gottlieb and Chris Winfield's event on stage, like one person, the person in the front, I could tell was really engaged with me and she was nodding and giving me the amens and that kind of stuff. And so I knew she was a fun person to interact with. And she accidentally knocked into my monitor, which I had just learned was my confidence called a confidence monitor. I had no idea that's what that was called. And I was like, Hey, you just kicked my confidence monitor. You just like, you know, (laughs) messed up my confidence. (laughs) Um, and she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's okay. I just lost my confidence. And so it was fun to like interact with her and, um, you know, and catch the eyes of various people who are, who I could see were engaging 
and speak right to them and do go a little bit off the cuff where it felt organic. And I think that really brings it to life and makes people feel connected and like they're part of it, keeps them engaged. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing it does. It presents you as a really confident person because some nervous person is not willing to do that. And they're not willing to make a joke. They're not willing to right. call on someone in the audience. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Let me, let me just add in something that made me think of from when you and I worked together, you had this awesome story that we wound up putting in the ending. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't make you go through it just cause it's, it's a little longer, but the point was that starting off with a long story does lead a little bit of the, uh-huh, uh-huh, where's this going yep. versus ending with it when your audience already loves you. Like that yes. was like this culmination. <laughs> You did it so artfully and then ended with your same punchline of it being Laura Belgra. So well done. Well done. Oh, what, I don't even know who I'm congratulating that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you, because you, yeah, you're congratulating yourself, which you should be, because that was a brilliant move. And it's true. Telling that story in the beginning, which I have, did leave a lot of people. I could see, you know, when I was talking to an audience of people who are like waiting for actionable tips about email for instance, they're yeah, just kind of right. like, where's this going? Why are you talking about yourself? Why are you telling this middle school story? Um, and yeah, I think I think the beginning was not the place for it. And the end was. It's a great story. So we're I'm, I'm tacking on an extra large tip there. That's me saying it, which is uh, a story can be really good, but figure out the best place for it. And sometimes it might be the if it's a longer story, it's more likely to be good at the end when your audience already likes you. And if they don't like you by that point, it's not the story's fault. It's something that you right. did. <laughs> That's right. So on that note, Laura Belgray is so good at storytelling and she's so good at identifying or making people feel like an insider that sometimes in life when something silly happens, I just leave her a voice memo. I did this a few weeks ago. <laughs> Saying all this to build to the point that Laura is going to tell us a story that I'm fully confident in. Time for the yeah. story? Okay. But it's a Laura Belgray story. And again, this doesn't have to be something you shared from stage. Uh, okay, good. It's not. Although I do share it, I believe, in my book. It's um, in that final chapter, which I'm working on right now. And I think it'll probably stay in. But So <clears throat> when I was in elementary school, I went to this Upper West Side, very progressive school, very much born of the 1970s. It was shaped like a, they, people called it the TV school because it looks like a TV set, or some of them called it the flash cube school because it looked like a flash cube, no walls on the insides, um, very lax, like we called our teachers by their first names. Uh, you know, Suki, Jim, we'd say, hey, George is being a dick today. And uh, like the, you didn't even call it a school. It was called a learning center. Um, and did you like, get real grades or did they give you like an alligator? Like, I got an we, alligator. <laughs> we got check, check plus, check plus plus. Oh, and there was also check minus. And, um, and we all had ways of like getting out of homework. The sexy girl. Uh, you know, the, the hottest girl in the class would like make sure that her um, boat neck shirt was off the shoulder and showing her bra strap. And she'd be like, uh, Larry, I really don't think it's fair that you're giving us so much homework. And he'd be like, well, fair, fair point. Cause you know, forward thinking educator. Um, and so that probably explains why there's, that is context for this assignment and the way I did it. So in social studies, we had a current events assignment or a regular one where we had to take any periodical and uh, summarize it, create a, do a, a summary with footnotes and quotes and all that stuff. Um, and I hated it. We all hated it. And when it, we, it was assigned to us, um, the teacher, this was actually Larry, said, it can be any periodical. And I was like, any periodical? And he said, yes, any periodical. And so I did my current events summary, my report on Penthouse Forum, a letter in Penthouse Forum. And um, I think I summarized it beautifully. I used quotation marks beautifully. I understood the assignment and made references to 
the gentleman's quote raging hard on and i said like in total the man has four quote raging hard ons and then i had footnotes and everything like that and um everyone's always like well you must have flunked that one right like, yeah. no, i got a check plus i didn't get a check plus plus but i got it handed back to me with a check plus and just a little note at the bottom that said maybe next time try the new yorker question mark <laughs> <laughs> and that is my story. And uh, if I were telling it on stage, I would probably say that that is that that inappropriate. It was it appropriate? No, I was. I would say inappropriate is my middle name. Actually, my middle name is Sharon, but I don't like to share that. Um, and Sorry. I love to bring that inappropriate kind of off-label use energy to my business and everything that I do. I like to write about what I like to write about and I'm not a supposed to person and my business is not a supposed to business and that's the way I like it. And I'm Laura fucking Belger. I thank you very much. <laughs> that's so good. Uh, Laura, I'm such a fan. Uh, whenever you launch the speaking career, I think it's there for you. Um, where can people... Are there things people should download from you, things people mm. should do? How, how should people find out more about you? Heck yeah. Well, they should come over to TalkingShrimp.com. That is my digital home. And there you will find some freebies. I think that I think you should download. I think everybody should have an email list. And if you don't, you should have one. But if you do, you'll want my guide to non-sucky subject lines, my 33 most open subject lines, and four that tanked, and templates to make your own. Uh, so that your emails are must-opens. I have a guide to non-sucky copy, and then I have a couple of mini-courses there that um, people love. One is 60-Minute Makeovers Copywriting Mini Course, longest name for uh, the shortest course. Shortest um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I have an about page builder, and including a professional mini-bio builder, and that helps people a lot because they start to, they realize, oh my gosh, my about page and my bio are really boring. We were just talking about dry as sawdust and um, that will help it not be dry. And I don't like to say moist, but. You made a course out of this? No, sure. Oh man, this is, we should talk more about this. Huh. Well, I just remember there was a time that you and I were like, uh, how do you explain yourself? Because mine feels really. Like I can do this oh. for other people. What do you say about me? I love that this is a course for you now. That's awesome. Oh yeah. Oh, actually, well, I don't know why I withheld it from you. It's been my one of my mini courses for years now. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's just Mike hasn't done his full homework. Is what that is. <laughs> but yeah, that's fine. and I've talked before about like everybody's yeah. like the about page is. So the about page is supposed to be about the customer, but I don't know. Kind of. Kind of. That is the wisdom that you hear everywhere. Your about page isn't about you. They yell it at you. They're like, your about page isn't about you. It's about the customer. And I disagree. Your about page is about you as it relates to what you do for the customer or what the customer wants and what the customer is wondering about you. So that's so like the for me, that I like to write it. Mm -hmm. Okay. For me, I've long thought about how I should... The reason I don't do what I'm about to say is that it's a blatant lie. I should <laughs> pretend that I used to be really nervous and I couldn't get on stage mm -hmm. and I would get the sweats and da da da. But I just never had that. I just didn't. Yeah. That's happened to me like twice in my life. And the times that happened to me were I didn't prepare. So that's not really public speaking's fault. That's Mike didn't do the work, right? So <laughs> is, is it is it bad of me to just say I haven't I'm not it's not that I don't have nervousness before something important, but I don't have the inherent public speaking. Oh my gosh, this is my worst nightmare. Should I be? No, like, should I, I be don't. Yeah. I think we're so used to everybody's story being a transformation story of, you know, I, uh, I was not always the confident speaker you see before you today. Right. At one time I was just like you and that's not always true. Um, and I, like if I help people with their copy, I'm not going to say like I was one, you know, I couldn't eke out a sentence. I was like, yeah. you know, if anybody saw um, 
precious based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Um, like, you know, that that was a person who didn't know how to read or write and then she became a great writer. I, you know, so people are expecting me maybe to say, like, I was like precious um, in that movie and I couldn't even put two words together in a period. That's not that was never true. I have had other struggles, but you don't I don't think your about page or your story has to be about a transformation or a rock bottom story that you had. Um, you can put in your struggles, but it could also just be that you were born to do this and yeah. you want to help people, you know, and you figured out why, like you figured out how to transfer that magic onto other people by helping them. Like it is a learned thing. It might be innate for you, but it's also, it's also something that can be learned. And so I wouldn't mind hearing that you killed it every time. There were only a couple. I wouldn't also wouldn't mind hearing that there are a couple of times you did bomb and here's why. Yeah. Yeah. People used to look forward to me presenting in third grade. The only times that didn't yeah. happen were the times so, where I didn't do the work mm -hmm. or I was intimidated by the audience. Boom. Right. Right. And um, I, I like, I love a story of someone being made to do this. Yeah. I don't think you have to say I was once bumbling and a sweaty, nervous wreck. Right. I was made to do this. This is the place that I feel the most confident in the world is when I'm on a stage or helping someone get on stage. That's my about page. Yeah. Okay. And you can say like, right, there you go. That and, and good news. I can make you feel that same way, even if you didn't give great uh, presentations in third grade and you were, um, you were the one who ran out of the room or, you know, shit yourself at the front of the classroom. Yeah. I'm glad we had this talk. Me too. Bell Gray, you're the best. Thank you so much for coming on. You and are, man. Everyone, in all seriousness, Laura's emails, the only ones I, not the only ones I read, but I make time to read Laura Belgrade's emails. I'm not the only one who says that. She's really good. She's really smart, funny, and I predict we'll add some cheer or humor to your day. Warning. Thank you. I make you uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. In all seriousness, Laura, you're fantastic. <laughs> Thank you to Laura Belgrave for coming on the show. Thank you, Laura, for being funny. Thank you to Funyuns for being the most super average vending machine food that's out there. Thank you to Alicia Otieno for producing and editing this thing. And thank you to Jonah Ramey for doing the music. Y'all, check us out on bestspeech.co. I send out an email newsletter that might not be in Laura Belgrave's level, but I think it's pretty good. And until next week, my friends, do good things out there.